Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With everyone looking to shrink their bill these days, Dunn Stores gives you new ways to save on your shop with double savers. First, you'll save in the aisles when you fill your basket with fantastic low prices across thousands of great products. Then you'll save again at the till with our 5 off 25 grocery voucher. Shrink your bill with Double Savers, new from Dunn Stores. Dunn Stores, always better value. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used on next in-store grocery shop of €25 or more. Hi, Lagim fam. Before I start this surprise bonus episode, I want to tell you about my podcast recommendation of the week. My podcast and YouTube channel recommendation of the week is Murder Murder News, hosted by the lovely best friends Aurora and Angelina. Here is their trailer. A duck blind on Real Foot Lake in northwestern Tennessee becomes the unlikely site of a double homicide. Then the suspect's body is discovered floating in the murky waters nearby to the scene of the crime. Maya Miliete goes missing from Chola Vista after a fight with her husband, leading friends and family to believe he might be involved. Tune in to Murder, Murder News, the Listen Edition, every Friday for the biggest true crime cases making headlines each week. Subscribe to Murder, Murder News, the Listen Edition, wherever you listen to podcasts. Murder, Murder News. Lagim fam, hope you like this next episode. Now on to our story. Mabuhay. Welcome to another bonus episode of Lagim, a Filipino true crime podcast. My name is Christine and I'm your host. This episode will cover the story of Maria Jeanette Dexon. Now, as I said in my first bonus mini episode, I want to create more shorter episodes in between the regular ones. It's just my way of saying thank you for all the support so far from you, my Lagim podcast family. These bonus mini episodes are usually about cases that are lesser known or cases that are still seeing much traction in the media because they are still relatively new. So do let me know how you find these episodes and whether this is something I should continue doing.
As always, make sure to not miss any updates about Lagim by following our social media accounts. We are on Instagram at Lagim Podcast, on Twitter at Lagim Pod, and on TikTok at Lagim Podcast. Lagim also has a Facebook page and a Facebook discussion group. So make sure that you look for Lagim Podcast on Facebook as well. If you like to stream Lagim on YouTube, make sure to look for Lagim Podcast on YouTube as well. And now to our story. Content warning. This story contains details that can be upsetting and confronting. So please take care of yourself whilst listening. Having grown up in the Philippines, I am more than aware that our presidential campaigns and elections or any campaigns or elections for that matter are almost always controversial, sometimes soap opera-like, and at times downright scandalous. But things can also take a darker turn when political rivals start intense smear campaigns against each other and perhaps escalate those into committing crimes against each other. The most prominent election-related crime that I last looked at in this podcast was, of course, the Maguindanao Massacre. Our story today revolves around a person that was described as a formidable lawyer, a good daughter, and a good friend. However, a lot of the people who know her and who have heard about her death think that maybe her death was caused by her involvement in a presidential campaign that was almost, well, foiled because of her involvement. This is the story of Maria Jeanette Texon. Not much is publicly known about Jeanette. The internet barely holds information about her professional life, let alone her personal one. But one thing does stand out in all the articles written about her. Her death was always reported in conjunction with the 2004 presidential elections, especially in relation to then-presidential candidate Fernando Poe Jr. When I first was made aware of Jeanette's case, I wondered why the person who suggested it did suggest it. After all, I did a quick Google search when I first read about the suggestion, and I did not really find much. As it turned out, one of my Legim's listeners, the one who suggested the case to me in the first place, is connected to Jeanette by way of her mother, who was close to Jeanette. I had asked both of them to come on to the podcast for maybe an interview, but both of them very politely declined. They have their reasons, and I completely understand and respect them. When cases like this one hits home hard, it can be very difficult to talk about them let alone talk about them on a public medium like a podcast. For those who are connected to the people, to the subjects, if you must, of true crime podcasts or shows, they do not see their loved ones as mere discussion topics. They are flesh and blood for them, and I respect that. It is for this reason that I try to be as respectful as possible when speaking about the victims and survivors of the crimes I talk about. I had been called out once by a listener for an Instagram post with a caption that could easily have been misinterpreted as maybe callous and lacking in compassion. I learn from these teachable moments the same way I learn from moments when people decline an interview in order to avoid opening up emotional wounds. Nevertheless, I want to thank the listener who suggested this case to me. I will refer to her as Ate B. 
in this episode. Most importantly, I want to thank her mother. Salamat, Tita. According to Atebi, Jeanette was born on the 24th of January, 1996. She was on a straight and upward trajectory to becoming a lawyer, it seemed, attending Ateneo de Manila and then UP, University of the Philippines, for her undergrad and law degree. She was considered a very bright and charismatic person, a good friend who is remembered as being kind and generous by her friends. Jeanette eventually became a partner at a prominent law firm that, since her partnership, was then renamed Leon Texon and Desiderio. It was therefore a no-brainer that she had become involved in a rather eyebrow-raising and challenging case that involved presidential aspirant of the 2004 presidential seat, Fernando Po Jr., Fernando Paul Jr., or FPJ, as he is better known amongst Filipinos, both young and old, was a veteran actor that graced Philippine cinema and TV for almost five decades. In the latter part of 2003, FPJ decided to run for president in the 2004 presidential elections. He was part of the KNP party who made him their presidential nominee. FPJ then chose Loren Legarda as his vice president, who was at that point the sitting majority floor leader of the Philippine Senate. FPJ essentially ran on the platform of being, well, the champion of the poor. This was a common theme, not only in his bid for the presidency, but also in the acting career that preceded it. However, FPJ was, at the beginning, not even sure about his bid for Malacanang. But he was eventually convinced by another actor turned politician, Joseph Ejercito Estrada, who served as the 13th president of the Philippines from 1998 to 2001. Now, one thing people might or might not know about FPJ is that he was born to a Filipino-Spanish father and an Irish-American mother. The couple was not married when FPJ was born, but they eventually tied the knot in 1940. And this exact moment in FPJ's life would come back to haunt him some 65 years later. In January of 2004, a private Filipino citizen by the name of Victorino Fournier filed a case against Poe and the commissions of elections. In a nutshell, Fournier submitted that Poe was ineligible to run for president as he was not a naturalized Filipino citizen owing to his parentage. The Commission of Elections, or COMELEC as it is more commonly known, dismissed the petition, saying that Fournier's case lacked merit. By February of the same year, Fournier decided to file his case with the highest court of the land, the Supreme Court of the Philippines. He was seeking to have FPJ disqualified from the presidential race. As it turned out, Fournier was not the only one who had the same idea about bringing such a case to the court. This is where we finally meet Maria Jeanette Texon. Fournier's case was merged with the case that Jeanette was filing, together with two other individuals, Felix Desiderio and Zuilo Antonio Vélez. 
The now consolidated case essentially argued that FPJ made a material misrepresentation when he filed his certificate of candidacy in which he claimed to be of Filipino citizenship. The case further argued that FPJ's mother was American and his father, although a Filipino citizen, was actually a Spanish national. He fathered FPJ out of wedlock and therefore he could not transmit to FPJ his Filipino citizenship because FPJ obviously was an illegitimate child. Only a year later would FPJ's parents get married and according to Fournier, this did not make FPJ automatically a Filipino citizen. The consolidated case also argued, and this was Jeanette's main issue with the case before it got consolidated, that the Comelec did not have jurisdiction over deciding the answer as to FPJ citizenship and therefore eligibility to run for office. So, what did the Supreme Court decide? Here is a short quote from their decision. But while the totality of the evidence may not establish conclusively that Respondent FPJ is a natural-born citizen of the Philippines, the evidence on hand still would preponderate in his favor enough to hold that he cannot be held guilty of having made a material misrepresentation in his certificate of candidacy in violation of Section 78 in relation to Section 74 of the Omnibus Election Code, end of quote. The Supreme Court in the end dismissed Fournier's and Jeanette's case and upheld the Comelec's decision. FPJ was deemed a natural-born Filipino citizen by the Supreme Court, who voted 8-5 to five with one abstention. He was therefore now eligible to run. FPJ was cleared to run his campaign, but his bid was not successful. FPJ lost to Gloria Macapagal Arroyo in an election year that was heavily marred by election controversies and an election rigging scandal. FPJ therefore felt that he had grounds to protest the poll results after it was clear that Macapagal Arroyo had won the election. However, his protest was thrown out by the Supreme Court. One can probably presume that FPJ's electoral bid must have had a significant effect on him. After all, it is not easy to run a campaign and then to lose it under questionable circumstances. Whilst we do not know whether the profound effect of his election loss contributed to his eventual death a few months after the election... The stress of running a campaign, losing and protesting election results could not have helped either. So where does Jeanette fit in all this? Three years after the election on the 28th of September 2007, at 8.30 in the evening, the Pasig Police Chief, Senior Superintendent Francisco Oyami, announced that Jeanette's body was found in a room at the Richmond Hotel in Pasig by a hotel employee. According to the initial investigation, there were deep lacerations to Jeanette's throat and wrists. The police quickly ruled out foul play and concluded that the wounds were self-inflicted. Sources online are scarce, and so whilst it is indicated in a few news articles that an autopsy was conducted, 
Nothing was ever published in the media as to what the conclusions or findings of the autopsy was, let alone the result of the police's investigation. Now, my listener Atebi, who suggested this case to me, gave some important insight into Jeanette as a person. And although I cannot verify any of it through online sources or otherwise, I think it deserves to be heard. According to Atebi, Jeanette had a habit of leaving her big house to stay in hotels whenever she needed some quiet time to prepare for her cases. She lived in a big house and some family members lived with her back then. So for a busy lawyer, it must have been hard to focus with so much going on at home. She would therefore check into a hotel to study her cases undisturbed. Friends and family thought this is what she was doing when she was found dead. Now, as for the wounds, it was Atibi's understanding that the lacerations to Jeanette's neck were very deep and were from ear to ear. Atibi thinks that the police were rather confident in their suicide findings because apparently the police had obtained video surveillance from the hotel hallway showing how Jeanette went into her room alone. However, Atebi emphasized that friends and family never believed the suicide story. It was uncharacteristic of Jeanette. Atebi said that Jeanette was scared of sharp objects like knives and needles, so much so that going under the knife for medical procedures filled her with a lot of fear. It was therefore difficult to believe that someone who had such a fear of sharp objects would then go ahead and choose this way to harm herself. It was suggested that if Jeanette had really wanted to commit suicide, she would have chosen something painless and quick like maybe poison. Furthermore, it was also suggested that if someone slits both their wrists in such a deep way, wouldn't it be quite difficult to inflict another deep and big wound on your own neck? One certainly would not be able to slit one's own throat and then wrists. This is impossible, I would assume. I guess this is more of a question or questions for those who are more in the know in the medical field. I have tried to Google this and could only really find references to indicators of self-inflicted throat wounds, one big indicator being hesitation marks as people usually change their minds halfway through or find it difficult to go through with it. It is after all in our DNA to preserve ourselves and protect ourselves from harm. And so the hesitation marks represent the brain maybe fighting the thoughts of self-harm. Encyclopedia.com says the following on hesitation wounds. These are wounds made by people attempting suicide. They are typically made at an angle related to the hand that holds the weapon. The angle of such hesitation wounds is usually in a downward flowing direction because of the natural motion of the arm as it sweeps across the body. Having read that, I was even more curious about the autopsy results and also about any information from the first police officers who were at the scene. How was Jeanette's body, hands, and the weapon positioned? Furthermore, what were the investigative efforts of the police anyway? Can they specify those? What was the thought process that led to the conclusion that the case was indeed a suicide? Did they investigate her personal life, her professional life? 
Jeanette was a single 40-year-old woman. It would not be inconceivable that she may have had a boyfriend or a lover. Was this angle investigated at all? How about work rivalries? According to Atebi, there was nothing in Jeanette's history or demeanor before her death that would indicate some sort of mental health breakdown or any mental health diagnosis that could explain a suicide. Having this in mind, people started speculating as to whether her fatal wounds were perhaps the result of a homicide. Jeanette, after all, led a high-profile case against a celebrity and presidential candidate with a prominent family and industry ties. As alluded to in the beginning of this story, there are some who believe that Jeanette was targeted because of her involvement in the FPJ citizenship case. People who might be of the opinion that this was indeed a suicide would potentially question why it took three years to get rid of Jeanette if indeed she had been targeted by someone from FBJ's camp. Why now? Why at all? FPJ, after all, was ruled to be able to run for presidency, so why bother killing the lawyer who almost stood in his way? The only thing that prevented him from taking office was a lack of votes. Wouldn't it be more logical to conclude that if FPJ's camp were to target anyone, it should be Macapagal Arroyo's camp? After all, she was accused of rigging the election. But this is the thing about crimes. Some make sense. Some make a lot of sense. And one can follow a logical pattern of motive, opportunity, and then the crime. But some defy logic. Some crimes are just committed for no rhyme or reason at all. Could it be that even after three years, someone still took offense at what Jeanette did or what she stood for in 2004? Was it a crime of passion by someone who did not set out to hurt her but in the end did? Or was it something completely unrelated to FPJ as I already mentioned? I think it is telling, though, that the information about Jeanette's death is always included in a Wikipedia page or in an article about FPJ's presidential bid. There is no conclusion drawn in the section about her death in that particular Wikipedia page about FPJ's election bid. The section just sits there like a sore thumb and seemingly invites you to draw your own conclusion. Whoever authored the page obviously thought there is something there, but we might never know what it is. As for Atebi and her mother, she tells me that Jeanette's friends and former classmates from elementary school still talk fondly about her. They puzzle over her demise and wonder if maybe they had missed something, if maybe they had not known Jeanette at all, or if maybe they should have pushed the authorities for answers. This case, obviously, has more questions than answers. Although I am not hopeful we will ever find out more from the authorities because they have already closed the case, it is definitely worth keeping this case in mind. Who knows, maybe we will hear something about Jeanette in the future that will help us make sense of it all. And on that note, I want to end this bonus mini-episode. Thank you all for listening. I know this was a rather odd episode to cover, but I always feel curious about cases that involve the deaths of women. I felt very curious about Jeanette and the fact that very little was reported about her. I guess this was my way 
as a former lawyer of paying my respects to another lawyer who was brilliant and brave enough to go against a very prominent man. Do let me know how you found this episode. And if you are someone who has any information about this case, know that my Instagram DMs are always open. If you want to support Legging Podcast, you can always go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating and a nice little comment. That will help us reach a lot of other true crime fans as well. You can also support Lagem by becoming a patron on patreon.com. For as little as £3 or $4, you can get early access to the regular episodes and to bonus episodes as well. As always, make sure to tune in again next week for a new regular episode. Thank you again for all your support and maraming salamat. Everyone looking to shrink their bill these days, Dunn Stores gives you new ways to save on your shop with double savers. First, you'll save in the aisles when you fill your basket with fantastic low prices across thousands of great products. Then, you'll save again at the till with our 5 off 25 grocery voucher. Shrink your bill with double savers, new from Dunn Stores. Dunn Stores, always better value. Terms and conditions apply. Voucher can be used on next in-store grocery shop of 25 euro or more.